Now, as we get our Bibles out and open to Ephesians 4, as we continue on our We Are Family series through the book of Ephesians, um, just working through this text, coming off of 10 days of walking literally through the book of Acts, um, physically exhausted but spiritually replenished beyond belief, and then uh, diving into this text and realizing that I was going to, the intention was to preach through this whole section beginning in verse 25 all the way through my heart is so full that we're going to attempt to get through verse 25 today and i say attempt we got to work so my goodness god's so good in so many ways I listened to last Sunday's sermon and thought to myself, you know, I'd go to his church. (laughs) Dang, that was good. And uh, talk about lob one up for me, boy. Set it up for today. And then I I come in and uh, running on fumes, just physically, spiritually, Never better. Um, and then I see Goose's baptism video, and I think Ray Charles could see the sovereignty of God in this situation. I know half of you don't even know who I'm talking about. He's blind. <laughs> the whole message today could simply be summed up by just watching that video so God is good so we had a great time because we serve a great God and we're part of a great church and so I had a great team and great people praying and I don't know what else could you need it's just awesome so let's pray and ask God to help us Lord today we worship you You are alone worthy of worship, Lord. You are magnificent in every way. Your word is so incredibly transformative in what it does to our hearts and our lives. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves before this perfect word. Give us ears to hear that we might be changed, By your work, Holy Spirit, in this time, we promise to give you the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's back up to verse 22, Ephesians 4. Let's start in 22 so we get a running start, so we have some context. Ephesians 4, page 1081, Pew Bible in front of you. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, 
and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Last week. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So here's what we've got. We've got this reality that in Christ we have two selves. If you weren't here last week, you need to go back and listen to that. We have two selves. The old self, the person we were before Christ. As Brian said, the person he was for 27 years, he had 27 years of practice in the old self. The old self only knows life apart from God. The new self that we're to put on, which is... What verse 24 says, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So here's what we have to understand. Saved people live in tension. Tension. Because the old self and the new self are, are always present. And there's conflict. Salvation isn't the path of serenity in life. Salvation is the path of hostility towards sin. And so it's not going to be this uh, carefree, simple, quick process. There's tension. The Bible says it this way in Galatians chapter 5. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the old are against the new. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You see, the saved you wants to do these good things. You want to obey God. You want to walk in the power of the Spirit. But the old self wars against that. And so here's what we need to do as we get our listening guides out. We are ceasing to be what we no longer are and becoming what we've already been declared to be. Now, you got to think this through. This is a process. We become new. I mean, I, I just have to, you just have to listen to last week because I can't keep going backwards. But you have to understand that like a man freed from prison, we're free, but it takes a long time to learn how to walk and live in that freedom. And that's our life. Our entire life is becoming what we've already been declared to be. See, the old self is defined by falsehood, but the new self is defined by truth. But without exception, without exception, every single one of us in this room, me included, all of us, fail to keep this command. All of us. See, none of us would ever say that we never lie. None of us would say that. But also, none of us would ever call ourselves a liar. You see? It, it's an accident. It's a slip of the tongue. It's a misunderstanding. It's just stretching the truth. It's a, it's a white lie. 
See, we lie for so many reasons. We lie to save face. We lie to avoid hurting people's feelings. We, we lie to impress others. We lie to shirk responsibility. We, we lie to hide our mistakes. We lie to prevent conflict. We lie to get out of things. And a million other reasons. And you have to ask yourself, what is the big deal? What's the big deal with, with, with falsehood and lying? What's the big deal? B- because look at how Scripture deals with this issue. The ninth commandment. So of the ten things God says, here's the ten things you need to be aware of. He's going to use up one of those on lying, on falsehood. So it's obviously a big deal to God. But then on the other side... Jesus declares that Satan is the father of lies. So it's a big deal to Satan. So it's a big deal to God. It's a a huge deal to Satan. What's, What's all this attention about truthfulness and falsehood? It's because we miss, we miss what this is really about. When we say lies, we live lies. We don't, you don't just say lies. Every time you lie, you live a lie. That's why it's such a big deal. Therefore, having put away falsehood. You see how that's worded? In other words, the assumption is, therefore, since you're all liars, put it away. It's not, don't fall into it. You're already in it. Let us speak the truth with our neighbor, for we are members of one another. How do we do this? What what does this mean? We got to get super practical in this section. Super practical today about this. I want you to walk out of here with a clear understanding of what is going on and how to address it in your life. Because here's the the, the questions are, are many, but for example, how do I find the lies to put off? I'm aware that there's there's a lot of you in the room you don't even know. You've lost track of all the ways you live a lie. You live a lie on social media. My gosh, where are we going? What world are my grandkids going to grow up in? If the generation to come, if my grandchildren's generation is more obsessed with their outward, fake, phony, ridiculous presentation of themselves, then this generation, Lord, help us.
How do I find the lies to put off? And then what truths do I put on? Where do I start? How do I know? So two foundational lies that the old self in every single one of us believes. Both lies universally across the room, every single one of us. You're going to get attacked in ways your falsehood doesn't look like my falsehood. You, you have circumstances and situations in your life. I have some in my life, and yours are different than mine. But these two things, universal, foundational. So if you understand these two, you are well on your way to making some headway. Lie number one, God's word is not trustworthy. The lie of authority. The lie of authority. See, sometimes our old self, what it does, it wants to reject what God says. But you know what it does most of the time? It doesn't reject all of what God says. It just rejects certain parts of it. Right? I mean, this is us. If you rejected all of what God said, you wouldn't be here this morning. But what, where, you, where you struggle is, is where it gets specific to your situation. You see, we all have a general trust of the Bible, right? Sure. The first lie of Satan was not, there's no God. God hasn't said anything. No. The first lie of, of Satan was, it wasn't a brand new statement. It was a subtle twist geared towards the specifics of Adam and Eve's situation. Look at Genesis 3. They come up on the screen. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Which is adding a little bit to what God said. That's not exactly what God said, is it? But the serpent said, you will not surely die. No, you will not surely die. Is God's word trustworthy? You see this lie of authority? Are you really sure that God said that? Are you really sure that God means that that way? You must be misunderstanding. That doesn't fit. It doesn't work. There must be. And then we get on. Then we go on this. Because here's the thing. The world will provide. There's a goofball out there that will interpret your scripture wrong the way you want it. You can find them. They're out there. 
There's false prophets everywhere. You can find someone to agree with you. You can find a church that agrees with you. Well, it's not really a church, but it says church on the sign. But they're out there. And for whatever you want to believe. Surely God doesn't mean what I just read. Surely that can't be what he means. See, we don't have, we don't have a problem trusting God in all the areas we're not struggling with. No. Lies come when God speaks in our specific situation. See, surely that sin can't be forgiven. Lie. Surely God will not provide for me in this situation. Lie. Surely God will not protect me in this situation. Lie. Surely God's not going to come through for me in this situation. Lie. But it's not just calling out the lies. We have to put on truth. See, our new self believes the Word of God. Believes it's truth. Not just true, but truth. And that's important because there's a difference. If it's true, it could be a perspective. If it's true, it could be a way of seeing it. God's Word is truth. Jesus said in John 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And here's what that means. That means that anything that contradicts truth is a lie. Anything. But we got to understand, we can't create faith ourselves how many times have we seen this in the in the this series through ephesians the bible's teaching us you can't make yourself more faithful you can't grit your teeth and say i need more faith i'm gonna build more faith i'm gonna you can try which many of us have and you can fail which everyone who's tried has because that's not how it works You don't have the capacity to create faith. What creates faith? Truth. See, the Word of God creates faith in Him, in us. That's what it does. And the Word of God also creates trust in Him, in us. We can't muster up enough faith to believe. We have to go to his word and see what it says. See what is the truth. See, you hear me say all the time, you need to read your Bibles. You need to know what the word of God says. And you hear that, so many of you, as a neutral thing. You hear me say that and you think, well, if I read my Bible, great. But if I don't, yeah, that's not the end of the world. Is that true? 
What's the truth? The truth is, if you don't put the word of God inside you, lies will overwhelm you. That's the truth. That's the truth. The way God produces faith is through his word. That's how he produces faith. See, some of you, the light bulb just went off. And in one simple sentence, you just realized, that's my problem. That's why I'm floundering all the time. That's why I'm... And here's the thing. If you attempt to read the word in a legalistic, mandated way, if you make the commands of God burdensome, it's not going to work. It won't work. You got to put the truth of God inside you. So lie number one is God's word is not trustworthy. Lie number two, you define who you are. Now, of course, these were going to be the two things because you, if you paid any attention through the first half of Ephesians, you would know this is what Ephesians has taught us. The first lie is a lie of authority. The second lie is a lie of identity. Yes. And they always go hand in hand and they universally affect all of us. Every single thing about it, every single one of us, the old you never stops working on these two lies. Never. And how does the old self want us to define ourselves. What did Goose say? It was like, by our works. He said, he grew up his whole life in this church. He said, I wasn't taught legalism. I manifested it in myself. That's what I'm talking about. The old self never stops. Trying to get you to define who you are by your works. Because once you define yourself by your works, he's got you. He's got you. And in order to do that, you gotta, you got you to gotta believe his word's not trustworthy. So see, lie number one leads to lie number two. And they go hand in hand. Once he gets you on one, boom, he's focused on two. And then you're stuck. You are what you do. It's amazing how many conversations I have with people. They're trapped, defeated, broken, discouraged. They believe. That they are what they do. Listen, you create your value 
or destroy your value by your actions is a lie. Think about this. You can't create your value, nor can you destroy your value. See, your actions, what you do has no bearing on your value because you don't set your value. If you, if there's so many moments in this morning that if, if you just got one of them, the implications moving forward in your life would just be earth shattering. If you could get this, how many of you came in here this morning carrying behind you luggage and baggage? You dragged that trunk of your shame and guilt everywhere you go. You live with people who will never let you forget it. And you allow that to just keep piling on top of you. You cannot create nor destroy your value by your actions. That is an impossibility. You're believing a lie. You're living a lie. Every single one of us was created by God. But think about created by God to receive meaning, to receive purpose, to receive identity. It has to be received. We were created. We're created beings. We have to receive those things from the creator. That's the only way you can get them. Look at verse 24 again. Look closely. Put on the new self. Underline. Created. Get this. Created. It's created. Here's my question. Created by who? Did you create it? You didn't create anything. You've never created anything. Your new self was created by the creator. The creator determines everything about the new self. You have no say so in that. You have to receive it from the creator. Or the only other option is live a lie. So there's Adam and Eve. They've disobeyed God in the garden. They did it because they wanted to be like God. A lie of identity. You see, Satan went in 
attacked authority. And then he immediately moved to identity. Because that's how it works. Genesis 3 continues. But the serpent said to the woman... Well, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, here's the fascinating thing. They were already like God. Think about this. They were already His image. But they wanted to be like God on their terms. Just like me and you. Just like us. Instead of receiving identity, they wanted to find it on their own. You see, we all have the old self. And the old self never stops chanting. Find yourself. Find yourself. Find yourself. Find yourself. All day. Every day. As long as you breathe air on this earth, it will never stop pointing you and pushing you to define yourself. And it will always be based on your always works. Always. Because that's the snare. We've been doing the same thing. Not receiving our identity. Not receiving our purpose. Not receiving our meaning but working for it. We work for it. See, your new self is not defined by what you do, but by what Jesus has done. You have to receive it. Your identity is formed externally. Yes. And in the same way, listen, I'm, yesterday I was up here working. Lisa called me and she said, hey, uh, when are you coming home? I said, I don't know. When do you need me to come home? Or really, why? And she said, well, Kayla's going to drop Hank off. I said, I'm there. So I go home. Kayla drops Hank off. It's just me and him chilling together, just hanging. And I'm like, Bro, look at them feet. You got Poppy's feet. See, here's one thing about my feet. Once you see them, you never forget them. You don't ever forget them suckers. Hank, he's got my feet exactly. Which tells us something about his future. He's going to be good looking, son. That day he's going to be good looking. <laughs> Man. Huh? See, I, you just got to embrace these suckers. You know what I'm saying? If I was born like during the Stone Age, I wouldn't have been a preacher. I would have been a NASCAR racer because I could pedal a car like the Flintstones better than anybody you've ever seen in your life. Nobody could beat me. I'd be Dale Earnhardt to the max. But you know what? I'm looking at Hank and I'm going, Hank doesn't, he doesn't know anything about identity. But you know what's happening every day of his life? The false self is forming 
And how is it being formed? Not internally, externally. His identity is going to be formed by by how he grows up with his mom and dad and the relationships that he has with his family and the things that they teach him and the way that they do things. And it's it's always externally. It's not internally. The old self was formed externally and the new self is formed externally. Your new self is not defined by your work. It's defined by the work of Christ. You, if you, and, and no one would want to define themselves by their work. If they had any sense at all, what a disaster that would be. That would land every single one of us in hell. See, your joy and peace and contentment is no longer enslaved to how good you are. No. But they're rooted in the finished work of Christ. All right. I need you to just focus for a second. I want you to take this next statement in. I want you to really take this in. Everything that is most true about you is true all the time. Everything. If you could get this, if, you, if we could teach our children this, if we could get this embedded into our hearts, if we could understand that everything that is most true about us is true all the time. All the time. Every day, every moment, every second. No matter the circumstances, no matter the failures, no matter the highs, no matter the lows, on your best day, on your best day, When you understand this, you're not puffed up with arrogance. You don't lord it over people. You don't parade it in front of people. Because you know that your best doesn't even compare to Christ's best. And when when days are good, we can be grateful and thankful. And enjoy it, but not allow it to define us. But on your worst day, when you're full of guilt and full of shame, devastated because for the 10 millionth time, you failed yet again. We can also rest because Jesus paid For every one of our failures. And more than that, God treats us as if we are Jesus. 
Think about it. 2 Corinthians 5. For he, God, made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. Why? So that we would become the righteousness of God in Jesus. You see that? Now, you're telling me that your performance has some effect on that? You're telling me that you're such a failure and you're so hard, which you probably are, and, you, and you've probably created all sorts of problems in your life, and you're a disaster, and you can't get it together, and you can't. But you're telling me that all that bad news affects that truth? He made him who knew no sin to be sin for you so that you and me could be the righteousness of God in Christ regardless of how we behave, regardless of what we do, regardless of what other people think, regardless. Regardless. You can't create or destroy value. You don't have the authority to do that. There's truth that is so infinitely higher. Nothing we can do can ever penetrate it. Ever. So you can crawl in here on your hands and knees. Covered with the filth and the stench of your sin. And you've had no effect on your value. No effect on your value. What you do doesn't define you. It has to come externally. So we put off the lie that we define ourselves. And we put on the truth that Jesus has defined us. Right? The lie of authority, the lie of identity. So let's live it out. Let's live it out. What's a practical way that we can live this out? What, if I could tell you one thing, what would that one thing be? Well, it would be what God tells us. What does Scripture teach us? What does life confirm? We all know our old self wants to doubt God, justify ourselves, create our own identity, put forth what we want people to believe about us. We say lies and we live lies. So what's the one thing? Confession and repentance. Those two things go together. Because there's no repentance without confession. And there's no true confession without repentance. So it's really the same thing, but it's confession and repentance. To which you go, huh? What? Yes. Let me show you. The first thing we need to realize is that lying is more than just saying what is untrue. 
It is keeping true things hidden. This is where we get into trouble, see? The old self wants to hide our sin, wants to keep up the lie. So what does the Bible teach us? Well, we just, we just keep going in the narrative in Genesis 3. It's already shown us the first two lies. Now watch what happens. Verse 7, So the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So they sin, and their first response is to, and here's what people get confused about. You think their first response is to hide from God, which is wrong. Their first response is to hide from each other, which is why they sowed fig leaves. Then after they hid from each other, because who were they worried was going to see them naked? There's only two people, which they've already been looking at each other plenty naked. But now we're going to put on fig leaves and hide from each other. Then the two of us hide from God. We hide. The first first indicator that we bought into these two lies, that we've been enslaved by these lies, is that we hide. We hide. See, if your life is defined by what you do, you already know where this is going. You're living it right now. You have no other choice but to hide. You hide every day. So much of your energy is expelled hiding, hiding, hiding all the time because you have to keep up the facade that you're performing great, that things are okay. But God sent Christ so that we don't have to hide anymore. We don't have to hide. We can be honest about who we are with God and with each other. Why? Because the fact that Jesus defines us The truth that Jesus is the one who defines us is why we can and should confess. See, in other words, this is why you put off falsehood and put on the new self. Because what happens when you put on the new self and you realize, wait a minute, I don't define myself. Jesus defines me. Therefore, why would I not confess? If if whatever I confess doesn't affect my identity, then I'll just confess it. The reason you don't confess is because it's connected to your identity. Watch this. 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, hmm, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see that? We've denied the truth and defined ourselves. We're hiding. So what's the solution? You just keep reading. The solution is if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we're going to say the same thing again in a new way. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, which is untrustworthy, and his word is not in us. See, if we say we have not sinned, what are we doing? We're defining ourselves. And how are we doing that? By saying that he's untrustworthy. 
Isn't that exactly what we've been talking about? So from Genesis to 1 John, it's the same narrative, the same story. It all fits together. Yes. That's why so many of us are exhausted. You're so tired trying to hide your sin, constantly having to keep up face before people. Worrying about who's, how many likes you got or who sees what or who knows what. You're so tired and pathetic. You're, you're living a lie. You're so afraid someone's going to find out the truth. Just the mere mention of confession, it freaks you out. You're so afraid. You're like, I could never tell. I could never confess that. But you know what I know? I know that the longer you follow Jesus, the more you're tempted to confess. It's true. The result of walking with Jesus is you no longer fear confession. Let me break it down for you. If you have a confession problem, you have an identity problem. The only reason why you would fear people finding out your deep, dark secrets, which aren't secrets, by the way, because the person who matters most knows everything about us. So it's not a secret. You just lie to yourself by telling yourself it's a secret, which it's not. And again, the one who speaks the truth says, your sins are going to find you out. But you just keep denying that part. You go, well, he must not mean that. or what, what. You see what I'm saying? It's just this vicious game around and around and around. The reason you are afraid of confession is because what you do is tied into your identity. Otherwise, you wouldn't care. It wouldn't matter. You know what we do? We go to D group and we confess the sins we're comfortable with. Oh, yeah, we confess stuff, but you're such a liar. You're just, you're just confessing all the surface junk, but the things you're super ashamed of, you don't tell anybody. You confess just enough sin to keep accountability off you. That's what, that's what we do. We so desperately don't want to be found out. But you've already been found out. We've all been found out. We've all been exposed. Listen, Jesus' death on the cross exposed us all. Newsflash. Think of, I mean, I've just exposed 10 lies that you believe and I'm still going. They just keep stacking. You believe the lie that it's you, that it's your problem, that you're in this situation, that you, you, you lie. It's not you, it's us. And you know what? All of us. You know why? Jesus had to die on the cross. Why? Because we were so bad. You think Jesus had to die more for you than he did for me? Huh? You think more blood had to be applied to your life than it did mine? You're a moron. All of us. All of us. Think of how stupid that is. Why are you so afraid? 
Because you think you define you. Otherwise, you wouldn't care. Because Jesus died for you and for me. And so if you tell me and I don't get that or I judge you or I don't receive it or whatever the case may be, that's not your problem. That's my problem. You got identity problems. Blood ran out of his veins because good advice couldn't solve our problem. All of us, we needed more. It took the death of God to free us. All of us. So who exactly do you think you're hiding from? Look around the room, every age, every socioeconomic, every, every education level, every, doesn't matter. Look at the wicked sinners in the room. Every single one of us, every one of us, Jesus had to die or you would burn in hell for all eternity. So what in the world are we hiding from? We're all in the same boat. And we're so pathetic that we're going to pretend like we're really not in that boat or like other people are more in the boat than us? What is wrong? Put away falsehood. That's falsehood. That's living a lie. If you have unconfessed sin, sin that you haven't talked to God about or anyone else about, Because you need to do both. You need to confess it to God and to somebody who's close enough in your life to walk with you and love you and care about you and give you advice through it. But if you haven't done that, you're believing the lie that you define who you are. That's the only reason why you wouldn't. It's the only reason. So guess what? We've all been exposed. Nobody's hiding. We're we're hiding, but nobody's really hiding. That's what's so ridiculous. What's the truth? The truth is God takes sin more seriously than we do. Is that true? God takes sin more seriously than we do. That's true. What else is true? There's no sin that the blood of Christ doesn't forgive. So if those two things are true, let's be honest. If you believe those two things, if you know those two things are true, then you know what your natural response would be? Confess it all. Confess it all. Why wouldn't I? And yet look at us. You ought to see your petrified faces right now. 
You are. You're, you look pitiful. You're all looking at me like you think somehow I'm magically looking into your brain and seeing all your wickedness. No, I can see your wickedness right on the outside. And if you had half of sense, you'd see it on me. Jesus didn't die for you. He died for us. I'm no different than you. Yeah, there may be consequences when you confess your sin. Yes, sure, there's consequences. It's going to be painful. But it's the only way to freedom. It's the only way to freedom. What are you going to do? Keep playing the game? Just going to keep the mirage up. Just keep it going. Just keep spinning it. Keep pressing. That's your solution. And here's the thing. You know that won't work because it's never worked. What if you could leave here today free? Free. Get the weight off your shoulder. You were never meant to carry the weight of your sin. You know that? You were never meant to do that. That's why Jesus said, my yoke is easy. The burden is light. Why was he saying? Because you were not made for that. We were made for Jesus to carry that. He carries it. We don't carry it because we can't carry it. But you know what? You just keep trying. Look, already, you know what's about to happen? I'm going to say stand up, bow your heads, close your eyes, and you're going to immediately strategize. How can I keep carrying this? How can I get out of this? How can I get around this? How can I? You will do anything to avoid freedom. Freedom. The gift that God died to give you and you devote your life to avoiding it. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, the truth, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and what will happen. It'll set you free. It'll set you free. See, I know you want to be free. I know it. The question is, do you have the courage? Do you have the courage today? come down here kneel at this altar and say God I know this is ridiculous because you know everything about me you know the thoughts and intentions of my heart I've never hid a millisecond of my life from you I've been living a lie and you know that and you love me and I believe that the things that I've done have destroyed value in me or created value in me. 
I've avoided certain sections of your truth because I, I don't want to think about them. I don't want to deal with them. I hide behind this facade. I pretend to be something I'm not. And I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. It's going to hurt people. It's going to disappoint them. God, help me to understand that all the people that I hurt and disappoint, it's their problem. Because listen, if you think the person you're sitting next to or in front of or behind, if someone, if you confess sin to someone and someone says to you, why would you do that? They're a moron. They're an idiot. I can't believe you did that to me. You're an idiot. Because the blood of Christ had to spill out of his veins for them the same as you. Let's put the pretense down. When someone confesses sin to you, you better not. You better not take it personal. You're not God. You understand that? That sin was not committed against you. It was committed against him. So although it might hurt you emotionally, although it may hurt you relationally, you got you to gotta get over it. You know why? Because you're a wicked sinner too. And if someone, if your brother or sister comes to you, or your husband or wife, or father or child or mother or daughter or whatever it is, and confesses, if you know anything about the gospel and care anything about that individual, wouldn't you rejoice in their freedom unless you don't have freedom. Therefore, you are going to be angry at them. You see, confession exposes your heart But who you confess to, their response exposes their heart. You don't have anything to be afraid of. You can't tell God something he doesn't know. 